You may be seated. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Matthew 7. We'll have it on the screen too, but Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And uh, I would like to invite you, if you'd like to text me about any questions you have about this message, uh, please feel free to do so. I may get back to you, I may not, but I'd like to know what's on your mind about this. Uh, I was telling uh, my Sunday school class this morning, uh, there's twice since I've been here in six years that I've sent a sermon to the elders ahead of time to have them read it and give me some feedback. This is one of them. So if you have any questions, I'd really invite your texting. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. People under 30 were asked their views of the church. Top three answers. Number one, judgmental. Two, hypocritical. And three, anti-homosexual. And today we will address all three. Jesus addresses both hypocrisy and judgmentalism here, and I want to apply it, his teaching to the gay-lesbian issue. And part of this uh, sermon I owe to Andy Stanley, the first part of the sermon, uh, part of it anyway, to, he's a preacher in Atlanta, Georgia. He did a series of sermons of knots in the Bible, and last week was Worry Not, uh, which I, I used some of his stuff, and today, Judge Not. And I want to give credit where credit is due. The sad truth is Christians do judge. And Christians can be hypocritical. And Christians can be anti-homosexual. And that's why a number of people want nothing to do with Christianity or the church. And they will quote this verse, do not judge. And what most people mean when they quote that is, do not size me up and write me off. Thou shalt not judge my behavior, my body size, my skin color, my hair color, my tattoos, my teeth, you know, my sexual orientation, my choice of clothes. What, thou shalt judge nothing. Don't criticize me. Don't compare me to others. Don't confront me about anything that I do, Period. Do not judge. And Jesus is pretty serious about this judging stuff. He says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, judge unto others as you would want to be judged. However you, however you judge others, that's what you're going to get. It's going to come back on you. So how do you want to be judged? Well, I'll tell you how I want to be judged. There's part of me. I don't want to be judged at all. But if you do have to judge me, I want you to A, be sensitive to when you do it. For instance, do not do it on Sunday morning, at least not to my face. Wait until Tuesday. Now, this goes for all of our staff. I hear them say once in a while, Sunday morning, we are just not in a good place to hear your judging, so watch the timing. Second, I want you to do it mercifully, kindly, graciously, humbly, and in confidence, and if you're going to judge me, do it because you really love me. And third, I want you to take into account my whole story. The family I was raised in, the way I've been treated by other people, I want you to take into account all my insecurities, the temptations that I have to deal with. When you judge me, I want you to realize all I've been through, and I want you to understand why I am the way I am, then you can judge me. Isn't that how you want to be judged? You know, take into account all of me, not just one act, not one bad hair day, or one loss of temper, or one bad night at a party. If you're going to judge me, take all of me into account, okay? And then Jesus asks, why do you look at the speck in the other person's eye? And when Jesus asks this, I think we need to understand, he is confirming there is a flaw in the other person. There is something wrong with him or her, and yes, that person does have issues. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye 
they do have issues. But don't see the plank in your own, because you have issues too. You hypocrite, you judgmental hypocrite. And the reason I look at the speck in your eye rather than the plank in mine, it's just more fun to look at your issues than at mine. It makes me feel better about myself. The reason we see this speck in others and don't see the plank in our own, it's just more enjoyable. Judging can be fun. It is also blind. If I have a plank in my eye, it means I'm probably not seeing very well. And I don't really think there's anything wrong with me. It's you that has the problem. And Jesus asked, how dare you point out what's wrong with someone else when there's something wrong with you, you hypocrite. Top two responses by people under 30, judgmental and hypocritical. Jesus was about 30 when he said this, so he agrees it can be a problem. And yes, the other person has issues. There's a speck in their eye. But I have issues that are just as big and maybe bigger. So when I'm tempted to pass judgment on you, I have to take a look myself first. And when I see your issues, it makes me into a better person. Because your issues become a prod for me to do some self-examination. You know, you are such a mess. And because I see the mess that you're in, I will be prompted to see the mess that I am in. So here's a summary. When tempted to pass judgment on thee... Stop and take a long look at me. Would you say that? Say that with me. When tempted to pass judgment on thee, stop and take a long look at me. That was wrong, wasn't it? It's take Anyway, that's my bad. So the lesson is mind your own business, right? Lesson over, we're done, don't judge, don't write anybody off, you let him deal with his stuff, you deal with your stuff, end of lesson, go home, right? Let's go home. You know I preach longer than this, so we are going to go on. Because Jesus goes on, he doesn't stop there. Most people want to look at this verse, and everyone quotes, do not judge, and that's it. But that is not all Jesus said. When he said this, he did not say, do not judge, you hypocrite, period, end of discussion. When he gets to you hypocrite, you notice there's no period? It's a comma. You hypocrite, first, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First, take the plank out, and you'll become a better person, and you can see clearly, and then remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, let me throw this in. Following Jesus is never for our own sake. Never. Following Jesus is for the sake of other people. Do not judge other people. But that's not the end. First, I'm going to look in the mirror. First, take the plank out of my own eye. And first implies there's a second step. Then, second step, you will see clearly to do what? Remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if I only do not judge, period, and that's all I do, that does nothing for the other person. Do not judge is not about leaving people alone. So Jesus is not teaching mind your own business. Not at all. And that's what most people think he is teaching when they quote this. It's really about getting to a place where you can appropriately approach a person about their stuff in life. And the problem with minding your own business, it does nothing for the other person. Minding your own business can actually be an act of selfishness or laziness or cowardice. But I don't want to be judgmental, to which Jesus says you're not. If you deal with the plank in your eye, there's no way you will approach the other person in arrogance or with a better-than-thou attitude. You will come to him in humility and understanding that we're all sinners in need of grace. Jesus commands us to address our issues to help, so that we can help others with their issues. So the common use of do not judge, leave me alone, let me do what I want, is not what Jesus meant. Judge not does not mean care not or act not. 
Love forbids me to size you up and write you off. But love also forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. So to summarize, take the plank out of your eye in preparation for removing the speck from your brother's eye. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. Paul, in Galatians 6, says the same thing. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that, restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Restore him gently, and watch yourself. This can be tricky, and this will fulfill the law of Christ, which is love one another. Someone on Facebook posted this uh, last week. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind. That's true. Now, this teaching by Jesus addresses three audiences, and most all of us, I, I would venture all of us, fall into one of these three, and maybe more than one of these three. First one is, are you self-righteous? Do you size up other people and write them off? And this is what Jesus despises the most. He gets so mad over this. He can't stand it. You hypocrite. These are the ones who set themselves up as better than others, like look down on others. And it happens in our community. It happens in our church. And if you lean toward this, maybe it's because you're a pretty good person and you don't do all the garbage that a lot of other people do and you get mad at all the sin and stuff going on in this world. And so you're tempted to judge. You should do a two-syllable word, a word that you think applies to others but not yourself. You should repent. Because this drives Jesus crazy. If the sin of others doesn't break your heart, it may be because your heart has never been broken over your own sin. If your initial reaction to others is, somehow I'm better than they are, that's because you've never come to face to face with your own sinfulness and the holiness of God. Repent. Second group are those who walk away. Do you size up people and then just move on? You see someone doing self-destructive things and it breaks your heart. You're, you're generally concerned and you hate to see it and you pray that they change and it reminds you of God's grace in your own life. But for the grace of God go I. And you can see the plank in your own eye. And I know I'm not better than they are, but I'm not going to talk to them. It's none of my business. Jesus says it is your business. Talking to people about their stuff is not insensitive. It's love. So do some self-examination first. See the plank, and then you can see the sin in yourself, and you can see the sin and what it's doing to him or her. You can see it. Maybe you've been there, but now you can see clearly. You know the old song, I can see clearly now the plank is gone. You know, you don't remove the plank from your eye to see clearly for your own sake. It's not just to make you a better person. It's for the sake of someone else, and this is what love requires. Love does not walk away, and you need a two-syllable word. Confront. You do it gently, you do it lovingly. They may say it's none of your business, but it is your business because you love them, and this is how Christians do the one another stuff. You confront after you deal with a plank in your own eye, so your approach will be humble, it will be gentle, it will be in love and compassion, and it will not be judgmental or arrogant. Third audience. It could be that you've been sized up by someone else, but you refuse to listen. Someone confronted you and you wrote them off as judgmental. You may have even quoted this verse, do not judge. They were not judging, they were trying to help. And in your heart, you know they were right. You know they were onto something. Something needs to change in your life, but you refuse to listen. It's called defensiveness. Now, no one confronts perfectly, so don't use their stumbling effort to confront as an excuse. You need a two-syllable word, 
listen. Now, the rest of this text looks like a conglomeration of various teachings, but I think they all fit together, and they will help us with the very challenging topic the church and our culture faces today. I've had people ask me, my nephew's getting married to his male lover. Should I go to the wedding? We've had people in this church leave because they had a child that was gay and things have been said and they were made uncomfortable and they left. What if a family tends here that has two kids and two moms? How will we react? We want to live the Jesus life. What, what's that mean? How would we react if two men are holding hands in church? Would they sense the love of Jesus for them through us? Could a lesbian couple attend a parenting class at our church? Could they attain your small group? What if a lesbian wants to be baptized or an openly gay man wants to go to a men's retreat? If we want to reach the whole world, do we really mean everyone? Uh, Those are just questions that could very well be very real questions. And I'm not sure what all the answers are. Let's get this straight. I will probably give you more questions than answers today. And I struggle with this sermon almost to the point of saying, Weber, you're stupid, don't do this. But I am stupid, so we're going to do it anyway. And uh, I, I want to read the rest of this text because I think it will help. They look like they're not related, but they are. And we can put all this under the canopy of how to treat others. First section is do not judge. We just read. Then verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Dogs and pigs could be a reference to Gentiles and non-believers. Uh, some interpret this as to don't give important teachings to those who will not appreciate them. Some say don't give communion to outsiders. Others say you need to limit your energy toward the hard-hearted. But another way to look at this, and I think it's kind of in the same vein, pigs and dogs cannot digest pearls, cannot eat them. And so maybe Jesus is saying our good intentions are pearls may not do any good, and you may be attacked for it. The person giving the pearl is not help, just makes things worse, and maybe Jesus is saying, don't force it on them, and don't be surprised if you are attacked. So the first five verses, do not judge, and then he gives a pattern for taking the speck out of another's eye, and then verse 6 talks about not forcing your good intentions upon others, even if you do it in love, they, they may just trample them, so don't force it, and then in verse 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, you can take this out of context and people, well, this means you can get whatever you want whenever you pray. No, you're not going to get everything you ask for in prayer. You know, it could be a selfish prayer. It's asking for help when you go to a brother or sister. Pray, ask for God's wisdom and intervention when you talk to someone. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, then the golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So, do not judge first. Do a self-examination before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he says, don't throw your pearls before pigs and dogs. Don't force it. They may not accept it. And then pray, pray for wisdom and grace in how to relate to others. Ask, seek, knock, and God will give you wisdom and grace in your approach. See, Jesus knows what he asked of us is tough. It is hard to approach someone about their speck, their sin, 
and, and in dealing with the plank of our own eye. That's hard too. And so ask God for help and he will help you. Ask God to help you in a judgmental spirit that you may have. And then he tops it off with a golden rule. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. So homosexuality. Let's talk about it. We need to begin with our own plank. Here's a plank. We have been dealing in the church with sex outside of marriage for a long time. We believe, if we believe, the gay lifestyle is not the will of God. Is it really any morally different than straight sex outside of marriage? Is there a difference between homosexual sin and heterosexual sin? Be honest. Numerous persons in our church are sinning morally already. Remember what Jesus said about lust in Matthew chapter 5? It's adultery. So how about all the folks that struggle with pornography and lust and a long list of other dysfunctions? If we believe gay marriage is not God's design, we're really dealing with the same issue we've been dealing with all along, and that is intimacy outside of a God-given context. There's a lot of planks in the pews. Let's start there. That's the plank. Romans 2.1, Paul says, You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So we have a plank in our eye. And if we don't deal with the heterosexual issues, don't start being inconsistent and speak out against homosexual issues. At least be consistent. Humbly address all forms of immorality. Some of you may remember the name Ted Haggard. He was a megachurch preacher who had an affair with a man. And one believer said, and I believe he spoke what many were thinking. He said he would understand it more if Ted had just sinned with a woman. As if an affair with a woman would be better. That's a plank. That's blindness. Here's something we should understand about planks in our eyes. We tend to extend mercy to people who sin like me. See, if I struggle with a particular sin, I'll tend to be a little more lenient with others who struggle with that sin, like pornography. Well, that's not as bad because so many people are doing it. Uh, most people lust, and so that's not quite as bad. Gossip, that's not as bad. I mean, that's just way of life, isn't it? Uh, and we all identify with those. Do you remember when divorce was a big scandal? If you're old enough... Today, not so much. Why? Because we're all touched by it. We used to be sheltered from it. It, it used to be out there somewhere. And the further their sin is from my own struggles, the more judgmental I can become. I don't have a temptation to be gay, so it's easier to judge that. Once we get ourselves properly postured under God, recognizing our own sin, then we can join together in mutual sanctification and growth, helping each other to honor God with our bodies in honest, humble, gracious, loving accountability to each other because we're all in the same boat. Now, to those who insist we have to agree that alternative lifestyles are okay, sexual sin is okay, Jesus doesn't go there. He's not approving of any sin. We still have to discern right from wrong, but those who set themselves up as the moral, moral orbit, arbitrator without self-awareness is wrong as well. The Bible gives six admonishments about homosexuality. And the Bible is very clear. It's very consistent. It is not the will of God. Let me just read one of them, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear, whole list of sins that are not in the will of God. Sexual immorality is not His will. And not everyone is going to be saved. We'll talk about that some next week. But Jesus wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to turn to Him. By the way, you can get on the internet and you'll have people who will try to show you what this isn't really what the Bible says. If you get your theology off the internet, you're not getting theology. I mean, I've read and listened to some of it. It's almost silly. And you'll have a guy with a collar on that makes him a man of God saying, it doesn't really mean this. No, the Bible is clear. Sex for marriage is for marriage between a man and a woman. Six admonishments, all consistent about homosexuality. However, it gives 362 admonishments about heterosexuals. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't love heterosexuals. It might mean they need more supervision. But there's good news, very next verse. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I, I love that verse. My only hope is that, that concept. And our goal is everyone come to Jesus. Do you know what I hate? And you do too. I hate it when people expect me to do or be something they themselves were not do or be. That's called hypocrisy. We are not judges. We are fellow humans, all struggling with specks and planks. We are to correct each other. We are to be accountable to one another, but we are not God. Not, not God. So with a gay community, to summarize, I say don't judge. That's God's job. That doesn't mean we don't discern or confront or hold to what's right or wrong, any of that, but we don't judge. Second, be very aware of your own shortcomings. Approaching anyone about their sin must be done with this perspective, otherwise it will not be done in humility and grace. This is the first thing, the plank in your own eye. Then, don't force the gospel on anyone. Some can't swallow it, some won't. Don't force it. Protesting with hate signs at gay parades is not going to be, it's not going to do any good. Not even Christian, I don't think. Pray for wisdom in how to be full of grace and truth. Ask and seek and knock. Ask for your own spirit to be right before God. Ask for wisdom, you know, how to do this, when to do this, or, or even if to do this. Do have courage to confront. It is the loving thing to do. Confronting is not judging, it is caring. If I'm going the wrong way, please don't ignore me. Please say something. And then the capstone of this passage, and the most important, follow the golden rule. Treat others as you'd want to be treated. Treat others' kids who come out of the closet the way you'd want your kid treated. There's a man named Caleb Kaltenbach. He was two years old when his mother and father both came out as gay. And Caleb remembers hating Christians because of how they treated gay people. At one parade, he saw a sign saying, God hates you. Protests are spraying water mixed with urine on them. So Caleb asked his mom, why are they acting that way? And she said, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate gay people. Do you? James 3. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, like we've just done. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
Well, Caleb eventually got converted to Christianity. His parents were irate. His dad grounded him, told him he was disowning him. Mom didn't talk to him for months. When Caleb told his gay parents that he believes that God intended sexual intimacy for only one man and one woman for a lifetime, that created more trauma. And of course, his biggest battle, he said, I had to continually show them examples of people who were not like the Christians they'd known before. Caleb became a preacher. He brought his mom to church one Sunday. Two elders said to Caleb, if you want to keep preaching here, don't ever bring someone like your mother again. So he quit preaching there, went to another church. He says, my goal is simply to preach the gospel and share Jesus. And the LGBT people who attend our church know our traditional views. That doesn't stop us from loving and embracing them. Removing the plank in our own eye, recognizing our own shortcomings, will force us to approach anyone else with humility and grace and treat them the way we would want to be treated. But let me say, the most uncaring thing we could do in the case of anyone going the wrong direction is mind our own business. If you take that track, if it's not any of your business, you may as well say, you can go to hell. Read what the Bible says about sexuality and what immorality does to people. And when we forgo God's design, what it is doing to our culture and to our kids and to our homes and our schools, and to ignore this is one of the most uncaring things anyone can do. We don't water it down. We don't water down what we believe. But we also believe that everyone is created in the image of God. Amen? And God wants everyone to hear the redemptive hope-giving hope giving good news, right? And I know we're not going to have all the answers today, probably more questions than answers coming out of this. And you may disagree, and that's okay. Just don't do it till Tuesday. Let's pray. Lord, we have to start with your word and your love for all people. We have to start with the cross and your grace. We have to start by seeing the plank in our own eye, recognizing all of sin and all fallen short of your glory. And so we humbly come to you asking and seeking and knocking for wisdom and grace and for truth to control our hearts and minds and our church. As we try to navigate our way in this ever-changing culture in which we live. We ask for your help. We want to live the Jesus life. We want to not judge. But we want to be honest and accountable because we know that's Jesus' way. And it's in his name we pray.